the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter number 3, as we conclude our study and our teaching and our preaching and whatever you want to call it in the books of First and Second Thessalonians. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've, I've learned a terrible bunch. I, I really have, have uh, neglected these two books over these many, many years, not intentionally, just, and I've, they've now become some of my favorite books in all the Bible. And so I hope and pray that you've enjoyed them. Tonight I want to talk to you about final instructions. Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica, and they are young Christians, haven't been saved very long, and uh, so Paul here is giving them some final instructions. He's already sent Timothy back, and he's uh, confirmed them, uh, not in a Methodist way, and uh, he has established them in the faith, and uh, now he's writing his final letter to this young church. Now, some are going to misunderstand tonight. What would happen to my children if I had failed to discipline them? They'd just been bigger brats. They're brats anyhow. What will happen to a business if they just let everybody do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, just like they want to do it, and have no, no standards, no guidelines, or discipline? What will happen to that business? It'll go bankrupt. What will happen to a family who will not discipline the kids. They produce a bunch of outlaws. A society, a business, a family necessitates discipline for success. Why is a church any different? Why is it that we can walk down the aisle and tell the preacher that we believe that God is leading us to this place? Have no idea what the church covenant says. And thus they go back and live like we were living before we joined. Why is it, I ask you, that church members, I'm not talking to lost folk, church members can join a church, get active in the Sunday school, and miss whenever they want to, and expect nothing or no consequence as a result of their absenteeism? Why is it that folk join a church and enjoy the padded pews except in the balcony? The air conditioning and won't help pay for it. 
I'm afraid that churches, don't worry about that kid, I'll not preach it any time. My mama used to stick a corn cob in my mouth when I did that in church. That's why I hate corn so bad anymore. <laughs> Joe, don't worry about it. Bed, don't worry about it. Let me read you something, would you? I'm going to read you verse 6 through about verse number 15. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it just a little bit. But let me make a statement. I believe honestly that we have been laxed so long in the church that we're so far gone now if I should discipline somebody tonight many of you would take their side because they're friends and you'd call everybody in this church tell them what a dirty rat I am but you haven't talked to anybody about Christ in months. Good on the telephone. Could I read you something? I just wanted to set this up a little bit so that you'd be so anxious to get it you just couldn't understand it. Verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. And not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, <clears throat> but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. That eating gets to be a bad habit. It's a great motivator. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies, people who do not work, usually get into trouble because they have so much spare time. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren be not weary in well-doing. For if any man obey not our word by this epistle, Note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always. By all means, the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand. 
which is, to is a token in every epistle. So I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The last three verses is Paul's closing to the letter. Those are the only verses that Paul wrote with his hand. He dictated the rest of it to somebody else. But as his manner was to prove the authenticity of the letter, Paul always had a complimentary closing, and he says, uh, token of every epistle, that uh, I've written it with my own hand. He's written these last three verses. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Father, we love you. We really do. And all we want is for our church to see the big picture, not our individual picture, but your picture, your goal, and your dream for our church. And, Lord, I pray that maybe tonight you'd speak to every heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As a way of introduction, let's look at verse 1. Finally, that means this is the last time he's going to write him. This is the end of the book. This is, this is his closing statement. Finally, brethren, he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord might have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Paul dearly loved these young Christians. And you can see as he writes his love and concern for that church. I don't know how anybody could pastor a church and not love the people. Here's the thing. Most people expect love on the same basis as they receive love because that's the only definition of love they have. And most generally, we show love the way we receive love. We are not born with a, with a built-in love capacity. Watch little kids sit on the floor, and every kid on the floor says, they're my toys, and if I could, I'd put a contract out on you the next time you touch it. That's love, I suppose. See, that, that, that kid right there lying, saying, I'm hurting, there's a spook in here, there's a ghost about to grab me and run off. Not a thing in the world wrong with that little lion, Brad. I mean, little darling. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of grandkids like that. And, and I, I, whether you like it or not, I do love kids. I love kids. I love your kids. Paul loved this church. And he's very, very, very concerned about their stability in the Word, their love for Christ. And here Paul begins to uh, write them... And, uh, and sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, may I help you, love is tough. Sometimes, over these many, many years that I've been a parent, sometimes tough love is the only thing that would work. Cut the string. Put your wallet in your pocket. Don't bail them out anymore. Sometimes love is tough. If you don't believe me, ask Israel and the relationship to God. You need to know something tonight. Sometimes order in the church demands 
difficult displeasure. Some of you look at me like I love preaching like I do sometimes. I don't know why I mention husband and wife having the same name. It's not necessary. But I'll tell you one thing it's necessary. It's necessary that that man respects his wife enough to offer it to her whether she takes it or not. Now, this whole thing is just living together, coming to church, putting the same name on the card. That dog ain't going to hunt around here. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just sorry. And I think our church has already passed, passed the Bible and its procedures of discipline. The way we do it, we do it behind the curtains, behind the doors, so that we don't upset everybody in the church. And I don't know if you know it or not, years ago you voted and gave me and the deacons that power and that responsibility so that we want to drag every dead dog and every ugly cat out here and just mill it around and stink the whole church up. We don't do that. But there are responsibilities you have as a Christian. Notice, if you would please, Paul prayed and asked them to pray for him that the gospel, that, that the gospel might have free course, that the word of the Lord would have free course. You ought to pray on Sunday every week that the word of God would be blessed and God would take it and apply it to the heart and it would have a free course in winning people to Jesus Christ. You know how you do that? You get sin out of the camp. <clears throat> God does not have to use dirty vessels. You don't have to do that. And we're not talking about murder and rape and, and incest. We're talking about people who are walking disorderly in the congregation. Notice this. And that you may be, that you might deliver, that we might be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Did you know that everybody, remember this church, not saved? You know everybody's got their name on the roll and yonder's not saved? <clears throat> have you ever dealt with an unreasonable person? I mean, just flat unreasonable. You know, just <clears throat> my way or the highway. If you don't want to play like I play, I'm going to take my ball and my bat, and I'm going home. When we were kids, we were poor. We couldn't afford balls and bats and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> we just tickled if we could find a can we could kick. You know, we made toys out of, out of rims coming off the old wooden wheels on the wagons and those little old rings, and we'd make us a wire, and we'd roll that thing all over town. And then we'd run into somebody at a brand-new red bicycle. Dear God, that's the reason we joined the gangs. We started selling bicycles. <laughs> Not really. But have you ever dealt with anybody just unreasonable? I had a treasure one time tell me. He said, Preacher, as long as I've been here, I've been a treasurer ever since the church was started, and I want you to know... 
that uh, I am not happy about. I got something to gripe about. I kept him happy for two years in fire. Unreasonable people, just flat unreasonable. They, you cannot reason with them. You, they're just unreasonable. I had a deacon one time, and I found out he cussed a lot. I think every deacon needs to cuss every once in a while, don't you? Especially while they're drinking the beer. And this deacon gave me such a hard time, I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. And I found out he cussed. So one Sunday morning between Sunday school and church, I said, this is my opportunity. And so I made that guy so mad, so mad, so cussing mad, he began to cuss and raise his hand. And I stood up and started to walk out, and he just kept cussing. I walked out of the hall full of people, and he's still cussing. I said, now, sir, you don't leave. I'll vote you out Wednesday night. He left. Unreasonable people. How do you deal with unreasonable people? Bow down to it? Give in to it? Do you know in Joshua Baptist Church there might be some unreasonable people? Evil. Paul called them wicked people. He said, first of all, folks, I want you to pray for us that the word of God might have free course and that God would deliver from unreasonable people because everybody is not saved. Verse 3, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you. Do you like that? Establish you and keep you. It is not Brother Wolfenbarger who establishes you in the faith. I teach you. It is God who establishes folk in the faith. That he might establish you and keep you from evil. Didn't he say, uh, keep us from evil, for thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. Huh? Hey, I hope he keeps me from evil. I may not be good enough to... Hold off the temptation. You say, well, preacher, I can't just wait till it's the right temptation at the right time when nobody's watching. And it puts something in your pocket. How do you know you'll not yield to temptation? Uh, how easy is it for your husband to make you mad? Does he have a little quirk? That automatically bugs you, but I know how to I know how to touch Ginger's button immediately. If you don't believe me, you should be in the staff meeting sometime. If I was her, honest, if I was her, I'd take a gun to the staff meeting, and I'd shoot my husband right there in front of God and everybody, and ask everybody to lie about it that I died with a heart attack. Do you do you know do you know what to say to get her go? Oh, I thought you could handle temptation. Let's go on now, if you would, please. So we're just reviewing a little bit. Paul had a prayer request. Now notice what he did, a powerful reminder. Verse number three. Verse number three. But the Lord is what? Somebody tell me. Uh, he's what? Uh, do you need to be reminded of that every once in a while? Sure. I need to be reminded of that every once in a while. The Lord is faithful, 
Notice not only that, a, a, an absolute powerful reminder. Notice faithfulness of the Lord. Notice verse 4, the Bible says, and we have what? In who? Yeah. Now listen to me. Don't have any confidence in me. Because this is flesh. Put your confidence in the Lord. Because he's in charge of this. Uh, we have confidence in the Lord touching what? You. Isn't that something? My preacher told me years ago, don't trust anybody any father than their loyalty is to the Lord. Nobody. Nobody. Don't trust anybody. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that, what? Ye, both do and will, do the things which we commanded you. Now notice. And then he said, I need to remind you about something else. Number one, we have confidence. Number two, the Lord is faithful. Number three, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Boy, how we need for the Lord to direct us and our hearts toward the Lord. Huh? Do we not? There's everything else out there in the world trying to, trying to get our hearts. Is that not so? I mean, if, if the devil can keep us all churned up about uh, our president and how he don't do what we want done. Hey, I, I just believe the Lord's faithful. I've got confidence in the Lord, and I just believe he's doing the drive. Paul said, I just have confidence in the Lord, and not only that, that the Lord would direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting uh, for Christ. <laughs> Boy, get that. That must be a live booger I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me tell you something. So, so funny. When my two boys, Gene Jr. and David, were young kids, just little kids, they're still kids, they're just old kids now. <laughs> and uh, Red, David, the one that's a member here, used to have nightmares, terrible nightmares. He had a nightmare about uh, this creature coming out of the closet and grabbing him. And at night, he'd wake up, and he'd scream and begin to yell and scream. He's after me. He's got me. Got me. And he scared Gene Jr. <laughs> they had bunk beds, no Gene. He'd come out of his bed and get on top of David and put the covers over his head. Just so he, he, because one scared the other. That's what the kid there did that and scared me. I thought something had him, you know. Number one, Paul said, God is faithful. Number two, I have comments in the Lord that he will direct your heart into the love of God and impatiently waiting for our Lord. What a great deal. Amen? We've got a great, big, wonderful God. Now notice what he does. All of a sudden, he said, now let me help you a little bit. And he gives them a command. Notice this command. Now we command you, brethren... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly 
and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us and not those who are walking disorderly. For we behaved ourselves, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. A lot of the folks in Thessalonica had heard that the Lord was coming again and they quit their jobs and had idle time and we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. Because of all the idle time, they begin to interfere in the other people's business and became, as Paul described it, busy bodies. He's not talking about folks who's living in sin. He's not talking about folks who's committing fornication that was so prevalent in that day. He's talking about folks who are lazy, busybody, inactive, let everybody else go to hell, kind of Christians who did not realize the importance of sharing the gospel with their friends. He said, withdraw yourself from that busybody, lazy, non-productive Christian. People who are not concerned about Christianity and not concerned about lost people will get concerned about other things in the church. And if they're not careful, they'll tell somebody else about what's not perfect about their church. And then there'll be a following of a bunch of busybodies. Now, Paul said, withdraw yourself. Don't fellowship with them. In fact, Romans 16 says, don't eat with them. Years ago, a lot of Christians wouldn't eat at the same table with a family member that was disorderly of the local church. Wouldn't ride in the same automobile with them. Because if you're with them, you're identified with what they're identified with. You cannot run around with polecats without getting stink on you. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. 
I'm not preaching to you. I'm just teaching you what Paul told this young church. If you're around the table and somebody starts saying something negative about your church, they're not walking orderly. They're walking disorderly. You ought to get up and say, excuse me, please, but I'm not listening to this. You'd never have that problem again. One time I was at a large fellowship meeting over in Arlington. And uh, a group of preachers standing around. One preacher walked up and said, Wolf, have you heard this joke? I said, no, sir, but let me promise you that this word I'm fixing to knock you flat in the back. He said, well, that's good. I won't tell you this. Somebody needs to know where you stand. Paul told this young church, now finally, I'm going to close out, he said, this is the last bit I'm writing. And I love you, and I want you to know something. I want you to withdraw yourselves from people who say they are saved and are walking disorderly, doctrinally, socially, morally, Financially, why would you do that? Because God told us to. Boy, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Could I read you something out of the book of Romans? And I read for you Romans 16. You can look at it if you would, please. Now, there's notice Paul said. We don't treat people like enemies because they're brethren. Let me give you something. Discipline should be punitive and not final. We should want to correct actions, not necessarily punish actions. Now, once in a while, I punish my kid when they do something wrong. There's a lot of difference in correction and punishment. Penitentiaries are not correctional institutions. They're penitentiaries. You know why people put in the pen? Because they're not fit for society. They're a danger to society. We have penitentiaries for them. But now that the liberals have taken over, they're not penitentiaries. They're country clubs. Notice verse 17, Luke, uh, Romans chapter number 16. And uh, you say, now, preacher, is this King James? But it's the only one of God. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Is that what your Bible says? For they that are such, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. There is, in the Bible, physical separation. And there are spiritual separations. 
Can I show you physical separation? 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Bible said to the folks who's not walking according to doctrine and according to the tradition that have been taught over the years, mark him. Separate yourself from him. That's what it says. Isn't that right it says? Now notice 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, could I read for you verse 11? Okay, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. The Bible says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater, nor a railer, nor a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one, no, not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among you yourselves that wicked person. That's physical separation. They are sins that if they are practiced and committed in the local church the church is to separate that person physically from them how long has it been since you've seen them I dare say you've never seen them this church has practiced that over these years and the news needs to get out that we're not done practicing that I think we've gone so far in permissiveness so far in good old boys so far from the word of God that tonight, if I were to practice church discipline, half the church would choose the side of the one being disciplined because they know so little about the Word of God and have so little faith in the Word of God. And they love their friends more than they love Jesus. And a lot of them says amen to me every once in a while. Now, we're just having a good time, I thought. Missionary visited us Sunday, sat right back there. I never heard of him. I never seen him before my life. And somebody warned him about Joshua Baptist Church. He said, that'll be a, a very liberal church. You know what they're talking about? Kulots and Levi's. Co-edited preachers don't know enough of the Word of God, and all they want to do about put you ladies in a bunch of culottes made out of what's that stuff you used to make them out of? Oh, what did somebody tell me? Polyester. Boy, those are the be most beautiful clothes I've ever seen in all my life. And because I don't make you girls wear polyester culottes, 
because I don't jump on you for wearing what you want to wear at your house. Our church is liberal. I'm glad you know that. Paul not only gave us a command, he gave us an example. Notice this now. I'm, I'm done. You say, preacher, you're done already. What you talking about? You've been thinking and praying that I'd hurry up and get done. I can't believe he's done. It's gone by so fast. <laughs> yeah. Look at verse 9 through verse 13. Final instructions. Paul's writing. He said, withdraw yourself from people who walk disorderly. If you'll just tell folks, <laughs> how many remember Larry Chapel? Any of you remember Larry Chapel? Used to tell him, Dr. Chapel. He and I was playing, playing golf in, in Colorado. Fell of Austin, Texas, wanted to join us because you know we were uh, we were doubled and and the guy just wanted to play. We we played for two or three holes. Somehow or another, we got turned around in politics. This guy popped off about George Bush. Dr. Chapel said, buddy, you ain't going to talk about my president. It'd probably be better if you just hit the ball and go on because it'd be a lot safer on you. That settled that little deal right quick. What's wrong with them people? Where'd them people go? Where'd them people go? That'll mark them that walk disorderly. That withdraw from them who walk disorderly. You know why we're to do that? So that they'd be ashamed and repent and get right with God. But of course now that's before they had a church on every corner and go to the church of their choice. If we do that now, they'll leave and join another church next week. Well, they won't do that. Because they're not interested in getting right with God. They're interested in their own deal. Okay. Please don't call me when I get home tonight. I'll be tired and don't call me and say, Preacher, would you, could I please straighten you out? Well, I need it. I'll tell you that. Verse 9. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not that I'm in the wrong book. Don't take me long to find out that I'm in the wrong book. All i got to look up there, and it says, 1 Corinthians, verse number 9. Now, withdraw yourself, not because we have not power. Paul said, we didn't take food from you. We didn't take a salary from you. Not because we did not have the authority, and not because we did not have a scriptural uh, uh, precept, not because uh, we didn't. He said, we didn't take it, not because we didn't have power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. You've got to follow somebody. <laughs> Have you seen that television commercial, I'm a loner? It's a gecko. Well, sorry, you need to start watching westerns. I'll talk to you. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, if you just put that verse on the front of the church out there, we'd stop about 95% of the activity in the church office throughout the week. 
because everybody come by here needs enough gas to get to Waco. They're going to Houston, but they just want enough gas to get to Waco. And none of them want to work for it. Verse 11, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Paul said, I've given you an example. Verse 6, the tradition you received of us. Verse 7, how you ought to follow us. Verse 9, in samples unto you to follow us. The only thing I've ever asked, I don't know why, I, something, maybe the battery's gone in this summer. I don't know why, but I've never asked you to do anything I would not do first. I never ask a man to mow a yard. I never ask anybody to go soloing. I never ask anybody to clean a toilet. I never ask anybody to do anything. Only thing I've asked you to do is follow. And that's what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. I want you to follow us. And he closed it with a separation. Now notice what he said. I close with this. He said, uh, Now if any man obey not our word by this epistle. Now that epistle merely means letter. The letter to the Thessalonians. If anybody obey not this epistle, or our word or this epistle, that man, and have no company with him, that he may be what? Discipline is for the one whom you are disciplined's benefit, always. If you whip your children because they embarrassed you, you need to be embarrassed. Well, my kid's not going to act like that in public. Why? A kid needs to know why they can't act like that in public. Well, you're not making me look like a fool. You're already one of them. You, that kid don't have to work on that. Discipline in the church should always be not for your benefit, not even for God's benefit, but for that person you are disciplined. It should be corrective, not punishment. Punishment. Punishment is making a kid put his nose in a, in a corner and stand there till he's cross-eyed. That's punishment. Punishment's making a kid go to bed without eating. That's punishment. Punishment points toward a broken law. Correction points toward a good deed, a corrected law. Our churches have gone too far. You know anybody's talking about me that you'd like to say, I don't think y'all do that if you want to run around with me. You know anybody's made any snazzy remarks about me? If you're breathing, you do. 
Do you know anybody that might just perchance walk disorderly every once in a while? Well, there's a reason why you ought not be around them. Because everybody that sees you around them think you agree what they do. Is anybody here? I tell you, this got quiet tonight. I don't really realize that tonight, huh? Huh? You, you know, you just don't ought to listen to anybody talk about anybody in our church. You, you just don't ought to. You know, just not ought to put up with anybody talking about your church. You know why? Because hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars comes out of good people's pockets. Money, absolutely, is life. People give their life. For a certain amount of money, they put it in this church, and then you allow somebody to talk about good people who absolutely sacrifice their very life for this church, and you sit and listen to that stuff. This is the church of your choice. It must be it's the church of God's choice. You know why? that I insist that every teacher tithes? Because that's walking disorderly. Come on, can anybody say amen? Hmm? You know when a, car, when a card has a last name and another last name and the same address but a different last name? How many of those you think we get each year? About one a week, probably, maybe two a week. How many of those folks you think wants to join our church in that situation? And if I'd baptize them, or if I'd let them walk down the aisle, they'd join our church and serve in our Sunday school, just like nothing ever was wrong. You want that? Oh, you don't? I don't either. And God doesn't either. That's why you're a member of this church. So don't let the devil let supposedly good friends stir up a hornet's nest. Just say, I just don't think I need to be a part of this and just get up and leave. You know who'll be ashamed? Not you for leaving, but the ones that you have just made ashamed of what they're saying. Bet you never thought you'd hear that, but that's what Paul said. How many love this book? Amen, buddy. I do too. And we're going to stick to her, even if we are liberal. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Wouldn't I look good in a pair of culottes? <laughs> I wouldn't look good in anything. But I'll tell you one thing. Your preacher loves you. And your preacher will always tell you what this book says. Because it's been good for me all these 49, 48 years. I don't know how long it's been. God has been faithful. I have the utmost confidence that he'll stay faithful. Amen. And he'll direct our hearts into the love of God patiently.
Jesus Christ to come again.